You're listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. Hi, my name is uh, Saurabh Mubahedi. Managing Director with the Equity Research Department at BMO Capital Markets. I'm joined today by Devin Dodge, our primary analyst on Brookfield Infrastructure Partners and Brookfield Business Partners, as well as uh, Ben Pham, our partner covering Brookfield Renewable Energy. We also have on the line Etienne Ricard, one of the senior associates in the Equity Research Department, who is one of the connecting tissues across Brookfield Infrastructure Partners, Brookfield Business Partners, and Brookfield Asset Management. Uh, we thought we'd do a podcast today to cover off the BAM complex, as we had highlighted both Brookfield Asset Management and Brookfield Infrastructure Partners as two long-term ideas as part of a department uh, research publication back on April 17th entitled Taking an Extra Step to Look Farther. These two stocks that we highlighted have some distinguishing features, some of which has to do with the industry that they're in, some of which has to do with the underlying business fundamentals. We're not going to be able to do the BAM complex justice today, but we are going to spend maybe about 20 or 30 minutes to, to cover off the industry dynamics as we see relevant uh, for Brookfield Asset Management uh, and uh, the other publicly traded entities associated with it, talk a little bit about their access to liquidity and finish off by uh, commenting on what sort of uh, capital deployment opportunities we see for them. From a Brookfield Asset Management perspective, we are interested in not only the invested capital, the value, but also the value derived from the fees collected from the management of the underlying assets, whether it's uh, through uh, the publicly traded entities or through the private capital that Brookfield Asset Management also manages. From an industry perspective from Brookfield Asset Management, we think some of the dynamics that were tailwinds for it, being in the alternative asset management industry, will continue to be the tailwinds in a post-COVID-19 world. And specifically, we think in a low rate or a prolonged, continued prolonged zero rate or low rate environment, investors will be seeking for real assets with uh, sustainable cash flows because there really are no other alternatives for the likes of pension funds and sovereign wealth funds and the like. With this prolonged low rate environment, we see access to uh, leverage, if you will, access to credit at uh, low rates. Uh, an added benefit for organizations like Brookfield Asset Management and its complex insofar as they're able to help enhance the returns from the assets they acquire through leverage. And then lastly, we think that as governments help stimulate the economy post-COVID-19, there will be greater need for private capital to help deleverage the government balance sheets, certainly as it pertains to investments and uh, spending that they will do around infrastructure uh, assets and, and the like. So that would be the case in favor of the industry for Brookfield Asset Management. I'll stop there, turn it over to Devin to talk both from a Brookfield Infrastructure Partners perspective and uh, and Brookfield Business Partners. Over to you, Devin. 
Okay, thanks, Rob. So infrastructure, uh, look, we've seen private capital playing a greater role in infrastructure ownership and development. And I think we're going to see coming out of this is potentially even that trend accelerate. As you mentioned, uh, public sector finances are under a lot of stress. Um, government debt is going to be you know, much higher. Deficits, uh, they're significant. And how quickly these wind down, I think, is a, is a question mark. I think governments could see privatizations and leveraging private capital to develop new infrastructure as an opportunity to restore a bit of balance uh, to its fiscal outlook. I think for BIP, it's unlikely to get many opportunities in developed economies, uh, at least for mature assets. I think the monetizations uh, that are likely to come forward uh, will attract a lot of interest, and BIP just doesn't have the, the lowest cost of capital. I think where we will see opportunities for BIP will be in developing economies, uh, where Brookfield has a local presence, or potentially in brownfield or greenfield projects uh, in developed economies. Uh, so for BBU, which is uh, Brookfield's uh, private equity arm, uh, look, industry conditions, I would say, were, were quite strong heading into this. Uh, there was a lot of appetite for, for high-yield debt. They could raise this capital uh, with little or no restrictions. Obviously, the, in a COVID-19 uh, environment, that has changed fairly significantly. The high-yield market is still uh, open, but I think you've seen high-yield investors become a lot more selective uh, in who they're, who they're putting money to work with. And I think that's where BBU could come out uh, advantage here just part of, as part of the Brookfield complex. Uh, and its access to capital should be pretty strong. Perfect. Maybe uh, before we dig deeper into that, maybe we'll ask Ben to comment a little bit from a Brookfield Renewable uh, perspective on uh, his outlook for the renewable power industry and uh, maybe even uh, worthwhile weaving in some commentary around the ESG implications for the industry as you see it. Over to you, Ben. Absolutely. Thanks, uh, Sarb, for the introduction. And uh, we are restricted on Brookfield Renewable. My comments will reference past published research as well as commentary on overall industry trends from our standpoint. On the renewable power sector uh, specifically, we've been saying for the last few years that there's significant opportunities for companies uh, positioned within the industry. We think renewable power is a disruptive force, and that's really predicated on two areas. One is, is the cost structure. We're seeing wind and solar generation costs being quite competitive with natural gas, uh, even with the recent uh, plunge in, in gas prices that we've, we've seen. The other reason is decarbonization that uh, we've seen from, from various different uh, areas, from industry all the way to corporations and even asset managers like your, yourself being net neutral on the carbon and decarbonization overall and in very supportive government policies that come with it. And certainly ESG uh, ties quite well with the renewable power industry. That's the E within ESG. And a name like Brookfield Renewable, being an owner and an operator of long-life renewable assets for over a century, ESG has been, been really a key part of the DNA. They understand the risk profile and, and really embrace the thought process of ESG does create long-term value for shareholders and unit holders for Brookfield Renewable. They also did lead with an inaugural ESG report earlier this year. In there, that they quantified that their portfolio is avoiding 27 million tons of carbon dioxide a year. And that's equivalent to about 6 million cars taken off the road. We also point to a, an in, interesting asset management stat in the U.S. 
Last year, we saw almost $20 billion of new money going to ESG funds. That's a record uh, historically. That brings total assets under management in ESG to over $140 billion, which sounds like a pretty big number, but in fact, it's only 1% of assets managed in, in the U.S. And, and that's where we think the opportunity is for ESG investors and for the renewal companies that we cover. Thanks, Ben. You know, from a Brookfield asset management perspective, obviously being part of the broader complex with having access to the entities and investment opportunities that uh, you gents just talked about, uh, as well as having access to private capital from a capital deployment and uh, asset management perspective. I mean, those are very complementary and attractive features. There's uh, close to uh, $290 billion of uh, fee-bearing capital within the Brookfield asset management complex and uh, as at the last reporting date and the feature that is particularly attractive is on the one hand leveraging the entities that Eugen's talked about gives uh, Brookfield asset management uh, global scale which we think at times may be underappreciated as to you know this Canadian based company is really a, a global player when it comes to alternative uh, investments in the infrastructure and real assets. The second thing is that it uh, operates as not only an investor, but an owner operator, which uh, has uh, some distinguishing features, not least of which is it is a low cost producer, if you will, compared to some of the more traditional alternative asset managers. Here I'm thinking about some of the more uh, US specific ones. Thirdly, I would say it's uh, an interesting uh, alignment of interest because through its ownership in the public affiliates, BAM owns interests really in the same assets as both the public and the private investors it uh, represents. But perhaps the most important aspect of all of this culminates in its access to capital and the available liquidity it has, both in terms of uh, bank lines, but also uncalled capital commitments across the entity. When you think about Devon Brookfield Infrastructure Partners and the available liquidity it has, maybe talk a little bit about first the size of that liquidity, but then secondarily about where that liquidity can be deployed uh, from a growth prospect. Yeah, so for uh, for BIP, uh, they have a pretty strong liquidity position right now. Uh, we've seen some recent moves uh, to bolster their resources. We saw some medium-term notes uh, a few weeks ago and more recently a billion-dollar credit facility. Uh, so this brings up corporate liquidity uh, on an uncommitted basis close to $3 billion. Uh, it would actually go to $4 billion if you include the liquidity in the underlying businesses. So a lot of capital available. I think the question is, where are they going to be deploying this capital? Where's the opportunities? I think in the near term, I think the focus is on public markets. Uh, they're seeing opportunities in transport, energy, and utility segments. Uh, these will be companies that BIP knows well, so there's no need to do due diligence. Uh, it's just tough to do the due diligence given uh, all the travel restrictions that we're seeing. I think the strategy here is to, is to build positions in the public markets and then negotiate a larger deal uh, once the recovery takes hold. So maybe beyond the, the near term, I think I, I address the you know the public sector, maybe opportunities that we're seeing. I think we also expect some opportunities on the on the private side. Uh, this would be uh, in corporate carve-outs or potentially just from distressed assets. Balance sheets are just going to be weaker coming out of this uh, this slowdown. I think there's need for capital injections. I think this could bring opportunities uh, to BIP. 
these transactions, I think, tend to be a bit more complicated uh, and can be a bit, uh, you know, it can reduce that competition for these types of deals. For BBU, probably not quite as well uh, positioned to be opportunistic in the near term uh, as BIP. Uh, it's not a question of liquidity. Liquidity is strong. Uh, they have more than $2 billion in credit facilities, but we just think this should be viewed more as a as a safety net for the existing assets. Uh, just in the past, uh, BBU has been reluctant to use uh, this capital uh, for new investments. It's, it's the available cash resources, I think, that's going to be the most likely uh, near-term constraint. They did a lot of deal flow uh, in late 2019 and early 2020. This left cash balances uh, drawn down. Uh, and capital recycling has likely been deferred until uh, at least late 2020. They do have some levers uh, to improve the cash position, but I just think it's just not going to be, or BB is just not going to be as active in the near term uh, as BIP. Once capital recycling becomes uh, an option again, that window opens. I think similar to BIP, we, we think BBU could see some corporate carve out opportunities uh, come its way. And Ben, what about you? Any commentary can you offer? I know you're restricted on it, but any light commentary on Brookfield Renewable you can offer? Yes, I, I think a couple of things to add to, to the conversation on, on M&A renewable specifically is, is we think post-COVID-19 with, with some of the easing on, on travel uh, restrictions, uh, we do expect a wave of consolidation within renewable power assets. And we're seeing valuation dislocations uh, globally, especially in emerging markets, uh, highly fragmented industry as it has been in, in the past. And uh, junior renewable developers starve for capital in, in this environment. And what we've been saying for a long time is, is companies with strong liquidity positions, in the case of Brookfield Renewable, they do have $2.7 billion of liquidity. Those type of companies tend to do well and be able to capitalize on M&A opportunities. Certainly, we can't point to in terms of M&A in, in, in our forward numbers and whatnot, but we can point to BEPS pass is most of their growth has been M&A driven. And a two, because of their global presence, they're just simply looking at, at more things than, than many of the other renewable peers that we cover. Thanks, Ben. You know, from a Brookfield asset management perspective, which is the lens uh, Etienne and I come at this from time to time, the invested capital is an important part of it, but the asset management arm derives uh, its value and uh, the sustained value, I guess, through the uh, consistency and sustainability of the management fees it collects, some of which comes from private capital, some of which comes from uh, management uh, fees it collects from um, uh, the publicly listed entities that UGENs cover. Maybe very quickly, Devin, can you talk a little bit about sustainability of the cash flows? based on the infrastructure partners' um, portfolio of investments? Sure. So cash flows, you know, we're thinking cash flows uh, for BIP should hold up, you know, quite well, in, even in the current environment. You know, 95% of the revenues are regulated, about 70% have inflation protection, and about 60% uh, is insulated from any kind of economic activity. You know, so that said, there is some exposure to volumes within BIP. I think that's largely in the transport division. Uh, this would be spread across uh, the ports, uh, rail, and toll road businesses. I think of the three, I think toll roads is likely to be the most exposed within BIP, just given the decline that we've seen in commuter traffic. Uh, we've seen some uh, other toll road operators, they've seen declines in passenger volumes of up to 75% in recent weeks since these shelter-in-place restrictions have been in place. Um, commercial traffic should hold off a bit better, but there will clearly be some weakness uh, in Q2 and into the back half of the year. 
BIP has uh, you know, a sizable energy business. Uh, we get questions on it. I think the key takeaway here is that there's very little direct commodity exposure. Uh, the bulk of the revenue and earnings uh, are from contractual arrangements uh, where there's little to no volume risk. I think the main risk that, we, that we're focused on here is related to the counterparty risk uh, on these take or pay agreements. And I think that's something that management is keeping, I would say, a really close eye on. You know, outside of volumes, I think the other um, item to keep in mind in the near term here is just on FX. It's likely to be a bit of a headwind as the U.S. dollar strengthens against other currencies. You know, BIP does hedge the majority of its non-U.S. dollar exposure, but it is exposed to the Brazilian RIAI and the Indian rupee. Collectively, these account for about 30% of uh, pro forma FFO. I think for BBU, look, the asset mix is a bit different. It's less about uh, cash flows. A lot of those re cash flows are reinvested in the business. So where BBU generates value is really on improving the operating performance of those businesses. They do tend to be higher beta than the other Brookfield entities. But that said, the asset mix has been shifting more towards uh, defensive and less typical names in the last uh, couple of years. So BBU, it's not immune uh, to a downturn. Uh, it has uh, a bit more aggressive capital structure and some exposure to energy-related markets. Uh, this has pushed the units down uh, you know, pretty hard in, in March. There has been some recovery, but still well below uh, where they were uh, even earlier this year. Thanks, Devin. And, and uh, Ben, what about you? Any commentary around the uh, resiliency of the cash flows at BEP in a, in a COVID-19 and post-COVID-19 world? I think there's, there's three uh, topics or buckets uh, to add to the conversation on, on BEP's resiliency, whether it's COVID-19 or commodity price fluctuations. The, the first bucket is, is scale and diversification. They do operate $50 billion of, of assets, uh, the largest public renewable energy that we cover in our coverage. Also diversified across 15 different countries, five generation technologies. Uh, to that, there's a second bucket, 95% uh, of their cash flows are contracted. That seems to be a, a magic number for, for them that they want to maintain low commodity price exposure. Most of their footprint is, is hydro assets, and that's important because these are perpetual-like uh, assets that support the sustainability of the dividend. The average contract length is also 13 years. That's the average we're seeing in the industry. And the third and last bucket, I did reference the strong liquidity earlier in my comments. I'd also add uh, that uh, they do have no corporate debt maturities until 2023, and uh, they do target an investment grade a balance sheet. Thanks, Ben. I do want to come back to Brookfield Asset Management. Obviously, uh, these uh, fees that uh, you gents referenced are important. Also, the management fees they collect for managing the private capital is also a, an important and a growing uh, component the fee stream. In fact, we're particularly excited because they have uh, they, are, uh, they have highlighted the next round of fundraising they would be seeking across their flagship funds could be upwards of $100 billion. And that would be benefiting from fundraising that they could do by providing credit options following the acquisition of Oak Tree uh, last year. So very well positioned across the entire capital structure, if you will, providing options both for credit-focused uh, investors, now that that seems to be the focus, but also from equity investors in real assets, infrastructure, renewable, and what have you, real estate as well. Before we wrap it up, I wanted to go to Etienne. One of the questions we usually get is, is whether or not one Brookfield 
entity should be preferred to another one from an investment perspective? I mean, obviously, they have their distinguishing features, but maybe, Etienne, can you talk a little bit about how the stock units or the publicly traded unit prices have performed more recently given the COVID-19 volatility, how that compares to, to history and uh, what sort of upside potential would that suggest uh, in a rebound in the equity markets? For sure, Sora. To give you some context, so over the most recent downturn in February and March of this year, peak to trough, BAM stock declined by about 51% compared to a um, you know, 35% decline for the S&P 500. We believe this underperformance uh, can be attributable to the decline on BPY units, which have come under significant pressure. And prior to this downturn, actually, BAM stock had historically performed in line with market indices in periods of 15% or greater declines since 2007. We believe that this is... Um, Largely, largely supported by the stability of the invested capital cash flows and the asset management fee streams, which are increasingly immune to market volatility. On the invested capital front, Brookfield Infrastructure and Brookfield Renewable have historically outperformed indices by about 400 to 600 basis points on average, which you know, again, we attribute to the contracted nature of its cash flows and limited volume risk. Thanks, Etienne. That's a very important point to highlight that increasingly higher proportion of the management fee revenues coming or management fee stream coming to Brookfield Asset Management is not sensitive to capital markets uh, fluctuations. And that is probably uh, one of the underappreciated features that will be tailwind over the longer term for this uh, complex. Anyway, for us, that will do it for this podcast. We're going to wrap it up. Thank you for your time. Hope you're keeping healthy and safe and looking forward to seeing you all in person uh, sooner rather than later. Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.